0: I want to look at uh, Ruth chapter 1, looking at uh, verses 19 through 21. If you have a cell phone, you can pull out your Bible app or you can Google that uh, verse of scripture. It's Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Once again, that's Ruth chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 from the English Standard Version. Alright? Ruth chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. If you're streaming on your cell phone, you're just going to have to listen because that's going to be too complicated. Here we go. Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mama, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I want to talk about when sweet turns bitter, when sweet turns bitter. My favorite drink is the old-fashioned. Now, to make the old-fashioned, you need good bourbon, you need simple sugar or muddled sugar cubes, you need water, and a cherry or orange zest as a garnish, and you need a large ice cube. Oh, and I can't forget about the most important ingredient that goes into the old-fashioned. It's called aromatic bitters. Now even though the recipe only calls for a few dashes of bitters, the drink will not be right without those bitters. And let me tell you, but bitters may have their place in a good old-fashioned drink. But nobody wants bitter in the midst of their life. But the reality is I have learned that sometimes life will go from sweet to bitter. Yes, I do turn into I do Life can go from sweet to bitter. I-, I love you can turn into I don't love you anymore. Life can go from sweet to bitter. One phone call can report an illness or a sudden passing of somebody we love. Life Can go from sweet to bitter. Plenty of money in the bank can change into constantly overdrawn accounts. Life can go from sweet to bitter. Yes, a good job can turn into no job, can turn into can't find a job. A good career can turn into a stalled career at a dead end company while we watch the years go by. Life can go from sweet to bitter. We need to understand that in this Christian life, in this walk with God, we are not promised always sunny days. We are not promised the constant serenity of sweetness. Sometimes in this life, things turn from sweet to bitter. May I encourage you this morning to take heart because although life can indeed go from sweet to bitter, you can be assured that God has neither abandoned nor forgotten about you. In the book of Ruth, Naomi knows a thing or two about life going from sweet to bitter. The story picks up with her and her husband and two sons moving from Bethlehem to Moab because of a family. But, But within a short period of time while they were living there, her husband died. The word says that her two sons went on to marry Moabite women, but within another short span of time, short enough, That after they were married, neither of them had even had a chance to have children. Both sons died. Yes, Naomi's situation went from sweet to bitter. Within 10 years, Naomi has planned three funerals. Within 10 years, Naomi has donned that black dress three times. Within 10 years, Naomi has called the rabbi to ask if he could officiate a homegoing service for a man in her household three times. Three times Naomi has found herself in a funeral procession. Three times Naomi has found herself receiving Hallmark cards and hugs. Three times Naomi has eaten repass food. Three times Naomi has gone home to a dinner table that was more and more empty. Three times Naomi has grieved the loss of a patriarch, a breadwinner, a laborer, a protector in her family in the midst of this patriarchal system. Three times. Yes, Naomi is a three-time loser. She has trauma piled on top of trauma and grief on top of grief. For Naomi, life has gone from sweet to bitter. She learns that the famine is over in Bethlehem and she decides that she will pack up her belongings and her pain to return back to her homeland. When she arrives along with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, told the women of her hometown, don't y'all call me Naomi. Call me Mara which means bitter, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I'm talking to some Naomi's in here today. I'm talking to some Naomi's on the screen today. Some people who know what it is to live life full, but also have experienced life's empty. Let me say to you that you are not alone. That there are other people in your community, in your church, that also experience emptiness. Whether that is relational emptiness or marital emptiness or financial emptiness or emotional emptiness or opportunity emptiness or self esteem emptiness, there are others in here who used to be full. But right now, chapter 2. The page begins to turn in Naomi's life. But but I think that we should sit for a moment in chapter 1 for a little bit longer. Because real religion needs to mirror real life. And in real life pages and narratives don't begin to turn that easily. For seasons you just end up having to sit in them. You feel them. You grieve them, you question them, and you question God. Now, that is the way it is when life goes from sweet to bitter. Naomi is at that place that many of you get to when life goes from sweet to bitter, where your theology starts going to work and you question God and begin to reason that there must be something. and in my life. She says in verse 1, verse 21, why call me Naomi? The Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Let me say to you this morning that there are three lessons in the text that I want to share. First of all, when things go from sweet to bitter, we should know that God's judgment is not against us when I when I first really started reading the Bible back in my early 20s, I used to read a lot of Old Testament. And in reading a lot of that Old Testament, out of that I began to develop a theology regarding suffering. And this theology regarding suffering basically said, when good things happen, they are God's blessings. And when bad things happen, they are God's punishment. It is easy to arrive at that conclusion because embedded in most of the storylines in the Old Testament is this deeply held belief by some of the writers of the New Testament text that when good stuff happened, God was blessing. When bad stuff happened, God was cursing. Yeah, we don't get far in Genesis before there is a curse for somebody doing a bad thing. Adam and Eve. Then Noah's son Ham is cursed For doing a bad thing Later on David is said To have been cursed Through the death of a child For the bad thing that he did With Bathsheba And causing her husband to be killed The the Jews go through this Series of blessings and curses uh, From God as they go back and forth Between serving God And forgetting about God Through much of their history That is recorded in the Old Testament And so this of merit can cause people, and this was me included, to believe that every time something bad happens in a person's life, the conclusion must be that there is something in their life that God is judging. But Job disrupts this theology. Because Job is about this one central thing. That suffering can happen to good people even though they have done absolutely nothing wrong. The book of Job opens up clarifying that Job was a good man, a a blameless man who feared the Lord. It says that Job was upright in all of his ways, but just as soon as the story identifies Job's goodness, we come face to face with his life, moving from sweet to bitter. And, And it does that without Job having done anything wrong. He lost his children to death. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his social standing. So steep, so steep is this theology of our suffering in ancient Jewish thought. That Job's friends speculate that this is the reason that all of this stuff happened to Job. They're like, Job, we know that you got some kind of. Secret sin going on. Joe, we know that you got some low key thing that is happening in these streets where you are living your life some kind of way that nobody else knows about. They reason that there is some reason, and it must be attached to Job's sin that calamity has befallen him. They reason that all of this that has happened to him is God's judgment against him. But the writer of Job clarifies to us that Job's suffering has nothing to do with sin, that Job's life moving from sweet to bitter is not in any way God's judgment against Job. And so here we are. In chapter 1 of Ruth, Naomi says in verse 21, Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? In the story, Naomi believed that her frequent trips to the cemetery and her frequent bouts with grief that her life turning from sweet to bitter are all because of God's judgment against her but can I talk to the Naomi's here today those that, who've seen life shift from sweet to bitter those who have seen sunny days turn into unexplained dark days who have been hit by some of the heavy blows of life let me say to you this morning that your losses, your suffering, your challenges, your tears, these things have not come as a result of God's judgment against you. And sure, what I'm saying to you is that the bad in your life has not come as a result of something bad that you have done in your life. Yes, the second thing that I see in the story is that when things go from sweet to bitter, we should know that God has not. One time when I was in the National Guard, we were out on a training exercise out in Joliet. So me and one of my comrades, we had been told to stay at a spot that was in the middle of the forest on this base. And at this point, it was about 7 o'clock at night in the summertime. Hour goes by. We're still there. But more hours roll by. And nobody has come back to get us. It, it was pitch black. It was at night. And, and here we are here in Coyote's Howl, with no live rounds of ammunition in the middle of the forest by ourselves and nobody had come to get us. At a certain point sitting there in that darkness in that coldness we began to ask the question They abandon us. Maybe you've never been in the military before. Maybe you have never been in the middle of a forest in the black of night before. But perhaps there is somebody here or somebody streaming who knows what it feels like to wonder concerning God whether you've been abandoned. story was supposed to turn out the, the turnaround, turnaround, the, the rescue, the giving me double for my trouble that the preacher talked about should have already happened by now have you ever felt abandoned written off by God left all by yourself but like God has resigned from your life, like God is not hearing your prayers like God has simply cut you off that Naomi had. But just as they return to Bethlehem, God starts showing Naomi that in the midst of her feeling, God was safe. God was still ever-present. It is in chapter 2 that Ruth has her eyes on a certain brother by the name of Boaz. And in order to understand why this is significant, you've got to understand patriarchy. What Naomi and Ruth have is where all of the stuff that they have or own is attached to their husbands. And their husbands are dead. The land that belonged to them had been sold to somebody outside of the family plan. And so Naomi and Ruth have not only lost husbands, they have lost their livelihood. They've lost property. They've lost assets. They have lost security. All the property that was lost can be regained by what is called a kinsman redeemer. That that is a person who is a close relative that has the right to buy back the land, to restore it back to be within that family. And so when Ruth meets Boaz, it is a restoration of hope, and it is also an indication that God has not forgotten about Naomi because Boaz is a near kinsman to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech since he is a near kinsman if he and Ruth hit it off it will restore to Naomi and to Ruth everything in terms of assets and social standing that they have lost so as the story takes this turn it is an indication that in the midst of feeling God forsaken that God has not forgotten about Naomi may I say that that's a word to somebody that no matter how dark it gets That God has a way of reminding us uh, us that God has not abandoned us. That God is still with us. That God has not given up on us. And so the way that the story goes, Ruth goes in to glean in a field that is owned by Boaz. But Boaz sees her and Boaz asks one of his workers, who is that? He finds out who Ruth is and he puts his Denzel walk on and he walks over and he spits his game at Ruth and Ruth does not play hard to get but she plays the humble, oh, me, kind of vibe toward Boaz. And they hit it off. They get married and he redeems the plan. He redeems the land. May I share with you thirdly and finally the thing that I see in this text is that God's plan hasn't moved away from us. That God's plan has not moved away from us. It's interesting how this story ends and how the story unfolds. There is catastrophe that breaks out in Ruth and Naomi's life. Naomi claims that her that she should no longer even be called blessed because the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. But what we see as the story unfolds is this picture. That even somehow in the bad, in the good, in the messed up gumbo of life, that somehow God works all things together for good. Yes. Yes. There are these things called genealogies that happen in the Bible, where we get these long things that we want to skip over, where it says who is whose mama and who is whose baby daddy and who was whose and who was related to who, and it is tempting to skip over. out of this Ruth story, if you read the genealogy, is that Ruth later becomes a, a uh, ancestor of David. And, uh, David becomes an ancestor of some other people and God has promised David that somebody from his mind will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And then later on, you get this couple named Mary and Joseph, this young couple that ain't got much money or much of anything going on at all. But we uh, later on, Somehow Mary becomes pregnant and she uh, says that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and they have this baby and this baby is born in a cradle in, be- in Bethlehem and his name happens to be Jesus and he lives this life and he is called Emmanuel, he is God with us and he lives this life and he ends up getting into some political tension with Rome and they end up murdering him but then on the third that murder that they had committed against him and how they had buried him in that tomb somehow he had called it that if they would bury him if they would kill him and bury him that just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days that so he would be in the belly of the earth for three days but on the third day he would get up as the old preachers would say with all power in his head Is that what can sometimes feel like life being lived on a plan B or a plan C, but for some of us, we feel like we are living the plan D of life. And this is not how it was supposed to go. God has somehow got me off the track and I can't figure out how to get back. I am somehow functioning in God's plan D for me. Yeah. What we see is that in the midst of all of this bitterness and this life tragedy that happens in Ruth and Naomi's life, are still on God's plan A. That God is not fixing mistakes. That somehow. For good, When sweet life turns bitter, let us pray. God in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us a chance to be reminded that even when our sweet lives turn bitter, we can be encouraged that you have not forgotten about us, that this is not your judgment against us, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not let us go, that we are still functioning on your plan A for our lives. I pray in the name of Jesus for those that are challenged, those that are suffering right now in the midst of their storm. I pray that you will give them peace. I pray that you will give them solace. I pray that you will give them strength. I pray these prayers in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And When you praise God for his word.